Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors, and if you want to visit that company, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. My co-host today is Brad Hoppy. I thought I heard Carrie Hoppy in the background too, but I'm not sure if she is or isn't going to stick around and talk to us. Anyways, you can check out their company, Muskie Mayhem Tackle, and that would be MuskieMayhemTackle.com. And our guest, returning guest today is Matt Seifert. Matt was... Uh, he was fortunate to kick off a couple episodes with us last year. I know we talked to him quite a bit, and he's been, I would say, one of the more popular people that people want to talk to. So, happy to have Matt back, and we're going to kind of go over September, late August, September musky patterns, specifically in Minnesota, and I know Matt said he wants to talk to me a little bit about Wisconsin fish, so maybe he'll ask me some questions, and I'll do my best to answer them because I'm not nearly as well-versed as say Matt would be about Minnesota muskies. So anyways, cooling water temperatures are going to be happening here pretty soon. In some places they're happening already. So we're going to go over some baits, patterns, locations, try to help you catch more fish at the end of this month and the beginning of the following month. And depending upon how the weather goes, it can last for quite a while. So with that being said, Brad and Matt, I, from what I understand, you guys just got off the water today. How are things going today? We're doing good, Jeff. Um, and Carrie is here. If it was that, if I knew it was that easy to get out of this, I would have been gone a while ago. Well, I thought for sure you were going to sleep. I thought for sure you were going to sleep. That's why I kept hearing you in the background, and I was like, I'm not sure if she's going to stick around or not. So I don't know if I want to introduce her because then, you know, if you don't say anything, it's kind of weird. They'll be like, Well, where was Carrie today? And I didn't. I actually thought when you told me you're going to bed that you were literally going to bed. I was I wasn't planning on it, but I can if you're trying to get rid of me. No, I mean now that you're here, you I mean now that you started, you might as well continue on for the next <laughs> forty five minutes or an hour, or however long we're going to well, talk. You do know I turn into a pumpkin when it gets this late, right? I'm aware. It's this is this is a difficult time of the year to do podcasts. I'm not going to lie; it's far more difficult than we let it on to be. Because I don't know what time is it? Almost ten o'clock right now on a Sunday night. Like, I got to get up and wire tomorrow. Brad and Matt have to go and guide tomorrow or fish tomorrow or whatever they're doing. And then I know you have to get up and make bucktails and hold the fort down because Brad's not there to do it. So it's uh, (laughs) this time of year can be difficult. There's no doubt. For sure. But I'm glad I I, for the record, I am glad that you're here, Carrie, because it wasn't going to be the same with just me, Brad and Matt. I don't think that we could have done it without you. So I'm glad that you stuck around. Oh, I'm pretty sure you could have handled it. I doubt it. It's pretty rough. <laughs> <laughs> Let's shift gears and get Matt on the phone. <laughs> well, uh, good to talk to you, Jeff. Yeah, it's been just got off the water. Uh, it's been it's starting to pick up. We had a few cold nights. Fish finally made a shallow push a little bit, and it warmed up again. Went flat calm today, so. The shallow bite died a little bit, but good things to come, that's for sure, with the cold fronts coming. Well, so, you know, Matt, before we started recording this, we were kind of talking about your season. Before we get into what's going to come or what we're hoping is coming at the end of the end of the month and into September, why don't you talk to us a little bit about how the season's gone so far? <laughs> well, 2020's been a ride, that's for sure, <laughs> to <laughs> say the least. I would say, to sum it up, when kind of went from zero to hero. We were all questioning ourselves going from you can't guide this year being told by the authorities to guiding walleyes every day. Then, you know, guys that were already booked that said we don't care about it to I don't know if I'm going to have any musky clients this year. And then I also guide on Vermilion, as you know. So that being like Canada, kind of got out of hand and could have booked every day on Vermilion. Uh, with stocking numbers being down, I didn't want to do that completely. I wanted to catch some fish this year. But Vermilion ended up being pretty good, and but very weird this year with a lot of new clients, which I haven't had the last seven years. It's usually my return guys every year with a few newbies every year, but this year's been almost, I'd say, 40% new people. So it's been a very weird year for me, but it's been really fun as well, meeting new people. 
and fishing's been with the heat been a little weird. I was lucky enough to be on Vermilion and I had to cancel one day for the whole season. A a rainstorm and some wind blew that night and we were right back down to 76 the next day. So definitely a different year for me, but it's the fishing's been very weird, but good. Well, let's talk a little bit about, um, I don't know, Brad, are we, are we allowed to talk about, I kind of want him to brag a little bit about some bait that you got coming out that I keep hearing about, but I've never seen a picture of. Can we talk a little bit about that, Matt? You want to talk about how uh, how that one kind of saved the day for you? We're just going to give, we're going to keep pushing on that one a little bit and let everybody want to gobble these baits up as soon as they're available, if they're ever available. I know Brad wasn't even sure if they were coming out yet this year. So did you, did you decide on that first, Brad? Well, it's more about getting some uh, components before we actually release it. Um, we've, we've got all the test stuff. And obviously the tests have been successful, maybe over the top. It's been pretty cool. So once these parts come in, yes, we're planning on releasing it. You know, it's been a crazy year with bait building. And so we've been ultra busy, as as you know, Jeff. I mean, I know you've been busy as well. And, you know, people, people are a little bit more free this year. And so they're able to go out doing a bunch of fishing. And so bait sales have been strong and I appreciate all of that. We, we truly appreciate our customers and, you know, that's what keeps us rolling and keeps us in business and keeps things going. So, you know, the testing of this new prototype, there's actually two that we're playing with. It's been phenomenal. As soon as we get these parts in, we're going to unleash the beast, put it that way. I'll let Matt talk about it. You know, he's, He's had a ton of success with it, as well as a few others that we've uh, put them in their hands. And I think once they they jump out here, it's going to be pretty wild. And, you know, the neat thing is, is those parts should be coming soon. And I would hope to release this soon enough where the public can actually start playing with them yet this season. I'm sure that would be much appreciated for some of these guys, especially me. I need I need all the help I can get this year, that's for sure. It's been a little rough. It would definitely be for all my clients who have been kind of begging, that's for sure. I don't know how to put it, but I've been fishing musty man products forever. I used to fish everybody's products, and I've actually gotten to a point now where (laughs) what I got it done with the other products, yeah, for sure. But this new bait has been just over the top for me, a total game changer. I watched just being on one of the heaviest sleep pressured lakes there is on Lake Vermilion, especially this year with Canada being closed. I mean, we're having four to two fish days every day, and these other guys are seeing two a day. And we're not talking follows either. I mean, the one at one point, the first time I got the bait, I went up there, and I threw it for about an hour, and I thought, oh, yeah, it feels cool, but I don't know, you know. And then the next day, I gave it to my client. He puts it on, and three hours in, I'm thinking, I don't know. But fishing was so tough, and all of a sudden, boom, we got one on. Okay, keep fishing, got another one on, got another one on. Put it on after dark, got another one. So the first day we gave it a shot, we have four fish in the boat. Even in it, you know, it wasn't a giant bait, but we're still getting bit after night, after dark. And it's been one after another for me the rest of the season. And it's just an amazing bait. I love it. I can't wait for everyone to get it. Yeah, it's been a good bait, and we're working on another one, too, that's just as good, so I can't wait to share that with everybody as well. But it's been a game-changer for me. It's been a tough season, really, with the warm water temps, and I don't know. I thought with the spring we were going to have this amazing year, and it's been a little tougher than I thought it should be. But this bait's definitely kept me going and kept it really fun for me this season. New clients, fish fighting, not any figure eight fish when the window opens this bait is down the hatch which has been really fun a lot of since well i have a lot of new clients this year that haven't been able to haven't been fishing with me for that many years or haven't haven't been musky fishing that long to watch them catch their personal best on the bait over and over has been awesome and they haven't had to worry about figure eighting or anything just down the hatch so that's been the funnest part of the year 
Well, I'd imagine that's especially nice since you've had more newer clients this year, not a lot of guys that you're really familiar with how, you know, how they are as fishermen. It's got to make your job a little easier. Oh yeah, for sure. That's for sure. Um, it's been a fun ride. I mean, it's been crazy for sure. Like we said, crazy year, but that bait's been really fun. And with weird bookings this year too, I've had a little bit of time off. So I've been able to spend some time with Brad and Carrie a little bit more than normal, which has been fun too. We've been able to spend some time in the boat together. And we actually took a few days off in September here to take, do some filming. So looking forward to that as well. Since you brought up September, I guess that's a perfect time for us. As long as you're done talking about this season, it'd be a perfect time for us to talk about what we had come to talk about tonight. And that was September. So I guess, um, you want to talk first off, let's talk about water temperatures, you know, like what's the water temperature trigger? Cause I, I think for most of us, it's probably one of our favorite time because those fish move shallow and a lot of fish move shallow and it can definitely be one of the more productive times of the year. What's typically though, what are you looking for to trigger that? What do you, you know, to, to let you know, now's the time I need to be there and, and fish in shallow. Ultimately what I would say, and I'll let Matt speak after this and that, and he might have different opinions, but you know, the, the last week of August, the first week of September, somewhere in there, we're going to have like the ultra cool down. And what I mean by that is the big, massive cold front. Now we've, we've experienced a few cold fronts in the last couple of weeks, which pretty much salvaged our season as far as warm water temps. I think we we're beyond that hot water now. So I'm hoping anyway, I know that you've seen a little bit of warmer water in northern Wisconsin, but you got the same rains that we had. We had like anywhere from three to seven inches of rain here in my area on Friday, which is bizarre. I mean, think about that. That's kind of massive rain. It definitely helped cool things down. We dropped anywhere from four to five degrees on any body of water in my area. As we go into the last week of August into September, you're going to see a massive cold front that comes in here and really, really changes the outcome of the rest of the season. And what I'm talking about is when we drop down, say, in the low 70s, maybe even the upper 60s, and you're going to really see a big, giant movement of fish going to the shallow water. And when that happens, it's kind of game on. You know, it's really cool to experience that. And I think that's why, as most musky fishermen, they truly appreciate the month of September because it kind of keys those fish into a smaller area of the body of water that you choose to fish versus them being scattered from open water to, you know, deep break lines to whatever it might be. So that's, I think, what we're really looking for. And I'll let Matt take it from there. Yeah, I guess if I could just, dumb it down for two seconds too for any of the listeners out there that haven't done this for a long time uh this year has kind of been eye-opening for me how many people are still getting into musky fishing at this point but i'm musky fishing is fun all year you know we have our patterns all year but this end of august beginning of september all through september really keys in the best time of the year for everyone and you might have fished a weed line you're your whole summer. Well, now your weed line, when you contact the fish in September, they have the feed bag on. The cold fronts have made a musky want to eat. Uh, they know fall is coming at this point. They can't deny 46 degree nights anymore. There's no more, okay, we had a 58 degree night. It's, it's 46 degrees tonight. We have to eat. So if you were contact the fish on that same weed bed, it's not going to just lazily follow anymore. You caught it. So you love September too. Uh, you just started musky fishing. I love September. I, I'm catching fish now. Every fish I see, I've, I've caught it in the figure eight or eight on the retrieve. But the more you do this and the more we fish, this, these cold fronts create such a migration of bait fish moving shallow. And that's the real key to catching fish in September, end of August, uh, especially in Minnesota. Uh, and I know in Wisconsin, because I walleye fish in Wisconsin some, that the bait fish do the exact same thing. I don't fish Wisconsin fish, but all bait fish nationwide, when those cold fronts come in, are going to push shallow. So maybe you are a musky fisherman that hasn't fished a lot, and you're fishing outside weed edges all year. That's where you catch your fish, or you catch your fish, you know, in seven-foot weeds. 
but do you fish the inside weed edge? That's what you need to concentrate on. Sand flats, shallow rock piles, and inside weed edges. This push of shiners, small perch, uh, shad, if you're in a shad basin, everything will push shallow on cold fronts. They finally are able to get in, eat bugs that have been in shallow water all year. This is their time, to, and it, whether it's the bugs or it's the cold weather, but these bait fish want to move shallow. And the muskies are right there with them. They have the feed bag on. The siskels have pushed deep. The thermocline's established. They have food there, They can, and they love it. That sand is holding the heat from the sun throughout the day. And these cold nights, the muskies have been used to this warm water and being able to metabolize bait fish with the warm temps. Well, those rocks and sand will hold that. And I've also noticed, too, in September, thick, junky patches of coontail in the middle of nice cabbage beds will hold a lot of fish from the heat in the midday sun. They might be on the sand in the morning, but they'll push out to that seven, eight-foot thick coontail clump in midday. But they And they'll sit right on top of it, and they're very active. So that's the thing people need to look for. If I can, I, I guess I'm just trying to explain this for people that haven't been doing it as long as us. But these shallow movements of this fish really turns them on. So, yeah, you're going to, if you contact the fish in September, you have stand a very good chance of catching it. But if you're fishing shallow, you're going to contact way more fish. And the speed is key. Things have changed. Whenever things change for a muskie, they can get weird. We all know that. Fast changes in the weather. Well, now we have this cold front. Have the fish changed? Yeah, they've moved shallow. And now there's nowhere for them to hide. Your bait within two feet of them if it goes near them they, you know if they're in four feet of water they can't hide anymore they're not they can't sink down 20 feet on the weed edge and say oh there's a boat there they have to make a decision the space coming by them and it's right next to them so it creates a great opportunity for everybody to catch more fish but is a muskie going to follow a very slow bait yes and in september you have a good stand of chance a good chance of catching it but with speed you can trigger a lot of bites in September. Speed is a huge thing for me. I know it is for Brad, but topwaters, smaller bucktails, for me, it would be my first guess, but I've caught them on supermodels. Burning supermodels can be a great pattern when they shut off midday. But those early morning, late afternoon, shallow fish, smaller bucktails, topwaters with speed, make the fish make a decision, reaction strike. They're trying to stay warm. They're used to small baits running by them all day long at this point. And they have the feed bag on. So you do that, and you're going to contact way more fish. And I'm talking inside weed edges, sand flats, reeds, and shallow rock piles. And as far as Wisconsin goes, I don't know, but I can guarantee you all the, all the baits are up shallow in Wisconsin. Based on what, what I can, you, but yeah, I would say, based on what I, my experience would be, same thing, you know. It's the same kind of deal, and we're looking for that cold front at the end of the month that pushes everything up, and then they stay there for a while until, uh, typically, until the weather's, you know, until the weather starts to cool, you know, too much, and then they start to force back out a little bit more. But yeah, it'd be the same, same kind of pattern. I think that's why we, I think that's why as musky fishermen we love fall so much because, like you said, those fish are up there. You, you know, like when they're shallow in the spring, sometimes they can be tougher because well first off sometimes there's just the smaller males second of all they're still recovering from the spawn and you know all 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 the components that have to do with that whereas in the fall none of those are none of that's a factor it's just about them like you said putting on the feed bag and it's it makes for probably the best fishing of the year i wouldn't i wouldn't say, I would well ag- i would agree 100 percent. that's my favorite month yeah if i could pick a month that's the month october i still really like a lot Seems like in October though, like September, it seems like the windows are open more and potentially longer. Whereas it seems like in October, if you can hit the right window, October can be really good, but it's very window related. Like there's not as, in my opinion, there's not as much action throughout the course of a day. It'll be very window related, not necessarily always moon, but just when the window opens, you can pop two fish and then that might be your own only chance you get for the day. Whereas in September, it doesn't seem like it's the same way you get multiple chances, you know, per day. I, w- yeah, I would agree a hundred percent. Multiple fish days in September. 
I disagree. I've had multiple fish days in October too. <laughs> <laughs> Kerry disagrees with us. Well, I, I mean, would say in my experience on average, the cool thing about September is the fish have the bag on. They're, they're feeding every day. If you find the right group of fish and they pack up heavily in these shallow spots, so you find the right active group of fish, you're going to catch a lot of fish. October, you have this change. Now, these fish have had the feed bag on for a month, but now you have this turnover situation, which can ruin everything, technically, right? And so everyone thinks, okay, now it's October, it's going to get really tough. And it can get tough, but at that turnover time, you have this move also of ciscos and whitefish if you're fishing basins with ciscos and whitefish. And the shad won't leave. The shad might go out for a, a small amount of time. But now these fish have a chance to move to the mud flats, the shallow mud, to eat the bugs. Because ciscos and whitefish are strictly, they have to eat these bugs so that live in mud. So now you have this shallow movement again where these ciscos and whitefish will move into these weed lines. And that can create some of the greatest fishing as well, especially for giant fish that now are 10 pounds heavier than you were catching them in the middle of August. But the October fights, like you're saying, very short windows, but very good windows. But I've also noticed at turnover, everyone thinks, okay, it's fall now. We have to move up deep, but there's a really good shallow bite in October as well. I just see it more so in that, five to 11 foot range more than the one to four foot range like September. That's my experience. I could be, you know, on the lake side fish. So I, what do you think, Brad? Yeah, I would agree with you, you know, and, and some of the things can be weird in October as Matt kind of has alluded to, you know, as some of the bodies of water, the thermocline, you know, you're, you're flip flopping the lake and these fish kind of just get really awkward. And there's a time during that time frame that those fish will go ultra shallow as well because it's not quite as, what's the right way to say it, they're not being abused as much, if you will, um, because the water temps are going to be a little bit more secure in that shallower water. So there's some, there's some bites in there in October where bucktails are still really solid, and it's really cool. But uh, honestly, you know, wood and rubber can really start to turn on when it gets into that mid-October range, you know, right after turnover, right during turnover. Um, if you're not fishing shallow and you're starting to go a little bit deeper, you need to start looking for wood and rubber. And I will tell you this, it's really unique, but if they're not going on rubber, they're probably eating wood and vice versa. And it can flip-flop day to day. And I, I've noticed it's weird. Two days in a row, we get fish on wood, and then they just kind of stop. And if you put on rubber, guess what? You're starting to get fish again. So, you know, be versatile there. And every day is a little bit different. So if there's two guys in the boat, I would throw wood and I would throw rubber and find out what the fish really want and go from there. But ultimately, there still can be a shallow bite in the month of October. It depends on how much that lake is really churning and, and turning over at that point in time. I was just going to say, like Brad was saying, you, you get this shallow push. You know, these fish near the end of September get a little bit like, oh, wow, wow, we're not crushing them in two feet of water anymore. And you start to see these fish in, you know, eight to nine feet of water. And that's when I like to move to those thicker coontail patches that will hold the heat, the summer warmth, you know. That fades near the end of September, and those fish will, if it's sunny and calm, they'll be in four feet of water at turnover. If it's cold and windy, they're in 20 feet. Turnover is so hard, but I truly believe that guys that think it's late fall, and they always say they hate turnover, if you fish shallower during turnover, you'll be a lot more successful. I know we were supposed to talk about September now, and we're talking about October, but you'll be a lot more successful during turnover if you stay a, a bit shallower. And I know it's very hit or miss. And sometimes it, it takes a 10 inch glider as slow as you can fish it to catch them. But near the end of October, middle of October, that's when guys need to start thinking about late fall fishing. That's when your Cisco's and your white fish are going to push out and they're going to start thinking about spawn. Those white fish spawn at 47 degrees. 
water turns over at, you know, 54 degrees, 56 to 54 degrees. And by the time that's over, and we're talking water temps dropping fast at this point. And when that water hits 50 degrees, whitefish are starting to stage. So that's when you can start thinking about moving out. If you're fishing a whitefish base, and that's when you're going to start seeing that, like Brad's talking about, the wood and rubber really shines on those break lines. Obviously, Cisco's aren't going to spawn until the very end of October slash November. But when those whitefish go, those muskies will move out to those break lines to start staging around that. You know, and I water temp to me every year gets less and less important. But if, if with the electronics we have now, you should be able to watch your bait fish. And as, as they make that move to the little bit deeper water and start staging, you'll see those males start to school up off the break lines. And that's the time to move out. And that's when October can really turn into late fall fishing. You know, one thing, Jeff, too, that we maybe didn't talk about, <clears throat> and partly because my body's a water that I generally fish, don't have a great bite. But Matt can talk um, about the reed bite. And that's that's a bite that's really cool. It's a ton of fun. My body's water don't provide a really good reed bite. But uh, that's something to think about as well in the month of September. Do you guys fish reeds in Wisconsin, Jeff? I only do a little bit, not a lot. Most of my stuff is shallow weeds. It's not a lot of reeds. I can only think of a handful of fish lakes I even fish that have them. Um, okay. So I wouldn't say it's a ton. Before we jump into reeds, though, quick, one, one thing I wanted to do is you both talked about um, rubber and wood. For people that are just getting into muskies, and I know we have, you know, people in all, all um, you know, experience levels listening to this podcast, you want to give some examples of baits that you would consider to be, that you would use under the wood condition of your rubber wood, just for people that are wondering what, what you're talking about? Well, the, the things that come to mind, you know, we make a big daddy, we don't make very many of them, and the reason we don't is, I end up throwing away about 50% of the ones that we built. That's a great bait that I've been very, very successful on in the month of October as well as November. Um, another bait that isn't made anymore was the Intimidator. That was a basically a giant big daddy, if you will. An incredible bait, um, large profile, definitely works. But you can you can shift gears and go old school and go back to the Suic um, and and bobby bait wade wobblers wade wobblers i mean there, there's a ton of good wood baits out there well i just wanted to clarify for people that are like i said they're new i knew you know i i knew what you were talking about but some people are going wood what are they talking about so anyways um sorry to interrupt you matt yeah and, i mean i use the the new phantom exorcist is cool that's a cool bait um i like that the big I, I think it's a Suic Magnum. It's a 14 inch or something. That's been a good bait. The Intimidator was my favorite bait. When I met Brad, started fishing with Brad, I got a fish the, uh, the Big Daddy. That's a super cool bait. Uh, good tail kick on that bait, too. The Intimidator was just a little bit more tail kick, but it took so much effort to work it. But the fish loved it as well. Um, yeah, I can't think. I used the True Glide Tremors, the Rumors. What else? Bar fighter. Any dive and ride or side to side. Yeah. Were, were yeah the, the phenomenal. Super um, appealers were good. Yep. You know, if you, if you just look for a big chunk of wood, I mean, literally, and if you work it right, those fish are going to attack it. And I, I do think the dive and rise is probably better than a side to side in most occasions. Now, if you're in shallower water, you could flip a coin there. Yep, I would agree. Even a, I'd rather fish a diamond rise than a side to side, unless it's the heart of the turnover. But when those fish, when it gets to fall and you're on a, you know, any kind of a deeper break, seven feet, I, I want a diamond rise on for sure. If I'm in four feet, yeah, I'll throw a big glider. But if the fish are just so neutral that it's just, okay, we haven't seen a fish in 11 hours. I might put a glide or glide bait on, but for the most part, you know, there's some cool jerk baits out there. And most of the old standards are the best sometimes, you know, I, yeah, the dive and rise are good. I would agree with that. 
and rubber baits. Did you want to hear any on that or? Sure. I mean, let's hear your, from your, you know, your standpoint, what you're looking at. I, I mean, I, I figure that those are, uh, most people are probably a little more familiar with them, but yeah, go ahead. Let's, let's touch on the rubber baits for people too. Um, I mean, I think the standard for everybody at this point is, um, the bulldog and the Medusa. There's some paddle tails out there that guys like, I know in a lot of other states, guys catch a lot of fish. For me, it's more of a follow bait, but I, I've had a little bit of success with paddle tails, but it hasn't been. If I could tell you the numbers I've caught on bulldogs and medusas versus paddle tails, it's, you'd probably never throw a paddle tail again if you fished in Minnesota, but that's also me. I don't throw them a lot, so I can't, you know, say that as much. But over the years, I throw a paddle tail and the fish follows, and I throw another bait that I work with finesse and instead of a straight retrieve. And jerking paddle tails for me doesn't work, so if I straight retrieve them, I get a follow or a bite. But by working a, a bait, I think counting it down, giving it a rip when I think it needs to get ripped and knowing where it is in the water column is a lot more effective for me than straight retrieving. But paddle tails do work, and especially on some waters. I hear some people really crush them on them. So where I'm fishing, I don't have much success. But I don't really think we've we've had a little bit of success with some of the bondy baits and other stuff. But for me, the Komodo from Peterson, True Glide, that one, I've caught some fish on that as well. But comes down to personal preference. Yeah, personal preference is huge. So if, if it's a bait that you can cast out and keep at a certain depth that you know where the bait fish is, I think that's key for you. Whatever you have confidence in is what you're going to catch them on. Well, let's quick, let me have one quick question for you. So there's the, obviously, like you mentioned, the bulldog, the Medusa, those are the two main, you know, I would say mainstream rubber baits. Is there a time, do you think that those fish would eat a Medusa and not eat a bulldog and vice versa? Or you, you're you're more confident in a bulldog, so throw a bulldog. You're more confident in a Medusa, so throw that. Is Or is it, you know, some days they'll eat a Medusa and they won't eat a bulldog. Is that Do you find that to be it's, the case? It's usually Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday. I knew you'd say something <laughs> smart. <laughs> I can give you a, I guess, a good but generic answer is if, I, I shouldn't say generic. If this is a true answer. This is the real answer. If you know where your bait is at all times and you know that bait better than any other bait and you can put it where the bait fish are, then that's the one you should use. See, so I get a, I get a nice logical answer out of Matt and I get a smart answer out of Brad. That's what I figured. <laughs> hey, I, w- I was being honest. <laughs> Monday, Wednesday, what was that? Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays? Is that what you said? <laughs> Sunday, Wednesday, and Oh, Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday. Okay, so if you're yeah. a, if you're a weekend warrior and you're not fishing Sundays, you do not want to throw a bulldog. You want to own all Medusas, <laughs> according to me. <Brad. laughs> uh, both baits are so effective. I mean, they they've caught so many fish. I mean, how can you argue that? Both of them. Well, um, I, I only bring it up because I get to hear from a lot of people, and some guys they're like, I just can't catch them on a bulldog, but I can a Medusa. And I'm thinking to myself. Uh, and I even I even think to myself occasionally, like, so I've, I haven't caught many fish on Medusas. I'm usually a bulldog guy, mostly because of what Matt said, confidence. I When I started to learn to throw rubber baits, the bulldog was the bait that I was learning, and there was no Medusa. So that's what I threw. Right. I, I think that's exactly what it is, too, Jeff. So, um, yeah, so when the, the med- paint- you know, so like any, anyways, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but if the Medusa, you know, so if I'm throwing a Medusa and I don't catch one for two hours, I'm thinking to myself, I probably would have caught one if I was throwing a bulldog. So then I'll switch to a bulldog. And then it seems like sometime throughout the course of a day, I get, I get the bulldog eaten. So is it, that's why I always wonder, is it self-fulfilling prophecy? I catch more fish on bulldogs, but I throw bulldogs way more than I throw Medusas. Whereas the other guy might be like, Ah, those bulldogs, I just can't catch fish on them. Well, do you ever throw them? No, not much. I always throw medusas. Mm, okay, you know. Yep. I've had clients that throw a bulldog, and I'm like, man, he's never going to get bit. Look at how he's throwing that thing. And the guy catches three. And I give him a medusa the next day, and he doesn't see one. And I catch three. 
So and his confidence in a bulldog, the way he throws it, is the right way to throw it. And the great part about it, if you buy a bulldog, you can buy a single-tail bulldog. You can buy a Minnesota dog with the tail underneath it. You can buy a double dog, which for me is a weed bait because it raises up when you pull it. It's not a fall bait for me, so I don't particularly like that in the fall. But there's options with the bulldog. There's the Medusa is the Medusa. It's a little bit tougher to pull. It has three tails. It's harder to cast. It has three tails. It has more wind drag. If you're young and you can get an arm on you and you're, you're confident with it, then throw the Medusa. It's a great bait, and you can rip it. The fish like it. It's got a long stall. Everybody's different. What if you're 68 years old? You don't want to throw a pounder. Maybe you like to throw regular-sized Medusas. I don't care what anybody says. If it's November, you can throw a regular-sized Medusa, a husky-sized Medusa. You can throw a regular bulldog, which I wouldn't recommend. But a mag dog, throw a mag dog, throw a regular Medusa, throw a husky Medusa. If that's your thing and you know how to work it and you know how to get it where the fish are, like you're going to have to fish slower. But if you know that, then move your boat slower. Pick the best spot on the lake and fish it slower than everybody else. Put your bait where it is. You can be 85 years old. You got just as good of a chance of a guy throwing a pounder in my mind. But you have to know where your bait is and you have to put it at the right depth. The and there's so many rubber, there's so many rubber baits out there that can do that. You just have to have confidence in it. So buy the one that you know how to work and get it at the right depth. For the record, Matt, I'm 43 and I don't like to throw pounders. So if I got to uh, to steal a yeah page out of Carrie's book, though, what's her, what is it you say, Carrie? I'm not that I mad do. at him anymore. Yep, exactly. <laughs> I don't hate him that bad anymore. <laughs> Jeff, that's because you're from Wisconsin, though. That's true. I mean, we we are the weaker strain of musky fishermen. Yeah, that's like mag dogs. We call the Wisconsin version, <laughs> and pounders are the Minnesota version. That's fair. Now, now, boys, we don't need to start any wars here. Not, yeah, I'm not trying to start a war. I'm just saying, big baits get big fish. We don't have but, any of those over here, so we're. But we like to say that, so it makes us feel better about ourselves. Oh. Like I just said, the true answer is if you have it at the right depth and you work it at the right speed, it doesn't matter how big it is. You know, some of the biggest fish have been caught on a number five wrap ledger on walleye. So, well, I know you that. don't have to, you don't have to have a pounder, but I like a pounder because it gets down to the depth. I want it right now. And it keeps at that depth. And I know where it is at all times. The same with a pounder Medusa. So in the fall, I want to be in the strike zone the longest amount of time. But if you're 85 years old and you can't do that, that does not mean you can't catch a world record with a big rubber bait in the fall. Um, by the way, also, Matt, I have caught a couple fish on pounders over here in Wisconsin. They weren't giants, but I did catch them. And actually, one time, uh, you know, it kind of goes back to the uh, self-fulfilling prophecy. So I was throwing a mag dog, and then I didn't catch anything that day on a mag dog. So I switched up to a pounder a little while longer. I get one on a pounder. Well, would that fish have eaten a mag dog had I continued with the mag dog? Uh, I don't know. Like that's those are always things I think about when I'm out musky fishing. That's why these fish can be so difficult to catch sometimes. I think they play too many mind games on you. Yeah, I hear you. Were you sure the Wisconsin fish wasn't trying to mate with the pounder? It might have been, and then accidentally got hooked. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, Jeff. Oh, I'm just brother. That was that we have to edit that one out, Jeff. No, I'm keeping that in there. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, that's good. I expected something like that out of Brad, but I was the one that it was his up. idea. He put it on mute for a second. And Gary goes, Don't say that. I I'm saying it. <laughs> wow. Uh, one of the neat neat things too that I would say about innovations is, you know, in the last three, four years, their paint game as far as what they're doing with colors has really become attractive too to the angler as well as it has for the fish. And that that's one thing that I would say, you know, with innovations, you have a pretty big window of trying to match the hatch or just some really, really cool color patterns. Something to think about as well. I won't disagree with that one bit. I mean, the, the rubber game, like you said, has just been, uh, it's it's really taken off in the last I don't know probably it's probably longer now Brad it's 
probably six, seven years now. I mean, because, you know, we're getting kind of old. Things move along fa- faster than you think. Well, it's amazing. I mean, if you think back to Muskie Innovations, man, I, I don't know where they're at. Maybe 25 years now. Think about that, Jeff. Well, I think yeah. probably a good 10 years ahead of us and we're 15. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it's 25 years. I think, I, think somewhere you are, I think you are right, Brad. I think it is 25 years. Yeah, yeah I remember when I bought my first regular-sized bulldog, which was like the stiffest thing I've ever seen, with this hillbilly-looking tail. And I crushed him on that thing. I mean, it was like the fish was unglued on this thing. And that was like, I think, my second year musky fishing. It was amazing, which was not 25 years ago, but it was a while ago. Um, yeah, well, that was that. Matt's 27, and when he was two. No, was I'm not. I'm 38. I'm 38. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've you- been musky fishing for 18 years. 18 years, yep. 17 or 18, I think. You know, we had Big Dave on the phone here, what, a couple weeks ago. Yep. And it's it's pretty wild. Um, Big Dave met Matt, like, in the beginning of his career on Malax. And Matt actually was out trying to kill himself. It was blowing (laughs) like a mother out there. And giant waves, and Big Dave actually was going out to go try to find Matt that night. It's kind of a cool story. We'll have to bring that up at some point. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good story. He he was coming out to save my life. He rallied the whole bar up and said, "Some kid just went out in a fourteen foot London seven footers on the north end of Malac with thirty five mile an hour south wind to go catch a muskie by himself with a thirty horse, and he's out there right now, and he just launched at eleven thirty p.m." Well, well, did you did you get the muskie? No, but I was out there fishing. But at the point where I was strapped, I was running the tiller and the trolling motors, and took my seat out and put a fighting chair in the back and strapped myself to the fighting chair with my belt. I realized at that point, as I'm throwing the cowgirl that had just come out in seven foot waves in six feet of water, and my motor was hitting bottom that if I had caught one, I probably wouldn't be able to net it because I was strapped to a fighting chair and I would kill the fish. And it was 1230 at night. And I realized that I was probably not being very smart, but I was a little hungry. So I unstrapped myself from the chair and pulled my trolling motor and made it out of there somehow alive and didn't know how to find the launch again. Cause I didn't have a GPS and it was pitch black, but, uh, and couldn't see over the waves. And I've noticed all these spotlights on the shoreline and a giant Lund tiller coming out to get me. And that was big Dave. And that's how that first musky guy I really talked to. <laughs> that's a good story. Oh. But yeah, it was a good story. You know, you're... you know, it's so, it's so funny, Jeff, because I've known Dave, man, close to 20 years, probably, um, 18 for sure. And, you know, Matt knew him too. You know, and, and we never realized that, blah, blah, blah. And I told him, you know, you know, Big Dave's coming up. He's like, Big Dave? Who's Big, you know, I'm not sure who Big Dave is. I go, Dave's playing. Are you kidding me? You know, that that's how it works. And this musky world is so small if you really look at the big picture. And so <laughs> it's just kind of cool, something to talk about, I guess. You know, Matt, I think we've all got those stories of, doing stuff in our youth that we probably shouldn't have done on the water. I know I definitely do. So <laughs> it's, I know uh, Brad does. I, I think we all, I, I think get... we all do. I think we're all just lucky that nothing drastically bad happened to us because I think there were certain instances probably that we've all been in where it could have definitely went south quick. Oh yeah. And when the fish are biting, I still have about one or two of those a year. <laughs> not that vermilion's that scary but when you get on leech or winnebagosh it gets a little ugly out there when they're biting i still make some mistakes sometimes you know but, it's funny what ends up happening and i know dave uh i heard him you know i'm working the boat and, and doing whatever i'm doing in the back and and somebody says man fred doesn't he isn't talking to anybody what's going on and dave just says uh, I've seen this look before. Just be ready. We're going to be in for a long haul. And, <laughs> you know, there's something about musky fishermen. Their eyes glaze over. 
and basically they turn into an animal and that's a really special moment i think but you know it can put you in jeopardy and and you got to be smart about it but honestly you know when you get into that zone things can really come to come together and actually work well yeah i would certainly agree with you but it also uh <laughs> it also makes you as you get older you start to question some of that kind of stuff that you've that you've done so you know, like I said, to quote Carrie, I and I'm I'm not that mad at him anymore. I try to, I try to use my better judgment these days. <laughs> it doesn't always happen, but I, I try to. Well, Brad's gotten wiser too. Is yeah, that, I think we all get wiser every year. Is that possible? Which is a good thing. <laughs> I mean, did did he really? <laughs> I don't know if he did. It is. Now, now when I call him and. and I say, uh, you need to get off the water now. He actually does it instead of driving to the other end of the lake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was actually like shocked. I called earlier this year when the tornado, one, one of the tornadoes that we had up here, we've had actually too many up here this year. But um, I'm like, uh, you guys need to get off the water now. It's headed your way. And he went, okay. And I, I just about tipped over because he's never like complied that easily. We waited. We took a picture of it. It's on my Instagram account. <laughs> we probably could have waited it completely out because it went around us. Yeah, but better, you know, that's that whole thing, Brad. Better to be safe than sorry. Yeah, but I could have got better pictures, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You could have gotten a video too. <laughs> Whoa. And then if you got a video, you could have done that. Uh, what is it? they call that boomerang on uh, Instagram, Brad? Where you know where it repeats itself over and over. They could have done that. I don't know how to do that, but you you could do that. Uh, you could maybe do that. I don't know anything about boomerang. But well, I think I think I've all the kids. I think all the kids are into it. So you know, I've <laughs> seen I've seen it a few times on Instagram. <laughs> I'll have to check into that. Carrie will have to teach me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or Mika. <laughs> That's probably where I'd go. I'll have my daughters check it out for me. Although they're a little more into the TikTok thing than they are Instagram. So I don't know anything about I don't know anything about any of that. So actually I do have an Instagram page, but I don't really do anything to it. But well, I don't know where we got going here, but I'm gonna swing back real quick to everybody for September. Yeah, you were talking about point. you were talking about reeds and fishing reeds, and then we kind of went off for like fifteen minutes in the wrong. Oh direction. yeah, we never we never did talk about reeds. Let's do that real quick. Yes, you know the Cass Lake, Leech Lake, uh, Bemidji area for me has been my reed bites. I have not. I've done a little bit on Vermilion, but it's oh man, it's so hit or miss. There's very little reeds on Vermilion, but it's the same scenario everywhere. You get these cold fronts, you get that push, and you know, you can watch an in fisherman video and they'll say, yeah, you got to fish reeds with a steep break right outside of it, which is very true in, you know, a lot of cases, but it's not always true. I've caught fish. I've had some amazing days in the reeds, five casts inside a break line. When fish move shallow in September, they move shallow in September. I don't care if it's next to 80 feet of water or not. Just remember that if you can get a, a buzz bait through it. Um, I use boogermans mostly. The rad dog makes a couple cool spinners too that go through there. Some double buzzes, single buzzes. Uh, rad dogs with clickers. For me, that's kind of boogermans and rad dogs have kind of been it for me. Played around with the monkey mayhem hinge and shortened up one of the arms, and I've caught a bunch of fish there in the reeds as well with the paddle tails, that single hook. But that whole bite in the reeds is super fun. Just a couple quick pointers. You're fishing really fast. Don't fish them. Yeah, if it's flat calm, you can go and fish them. But I like a little bit of breeze, so all the reeds are bent one direction. And it's a simple slip drift or a, a simple drift. Uh, with the trolling motor, if you have wind blowing directly from behind you into the reeds, you can just run down them. But cast into the reeds, but make sure you're casting with the wind at your back or into the wind. 
the, the reeds are all bent in one direction or you're just going to waste your time. I guess that'd be my biggest pointer. Move your baits fast and get ready the second that fish breaks the reeds. You'll see reeds parting. It's literally the greatest moment of your life catching fish in the reeds. You're reeling a buzz bait as fast as you can reel on the surface and there's reeds parting 25 feet away and next thing you know, the reeds are parting a foot behind the bait and the second the, break, the bait comes out of the reeds, there's an explosion like you've never seen with a two-foot wake behind it. Just remember it's a single hook bait. This is the biggest part of the whole deal. Don't set the hook. Just slow your reel down a tiny bit. You feel some weight. Swing your rod tip down into the water and just slowly tighten up on the fish. And then when you your rod's bent, you can set the hook if you want or just power it to the net. But it's a long weight process. It's a single hook bait on the surface. Twice as hard of a hook set on any top water that you've ever done. But it's some of the funnest fishing you've ever had. So check the reeds if you can on these cold front mornings. Heavy cold fronts will push fish into the reeds. The reeds are the same as the heavy coontail patches and rock pile. The reeds hold the heat. There's sand in there. The cabbage won't grow in there. They're amazing spots for fish to hold heat and to metabolize fish or metabolize their food, the fish have the feed bag on. It's just such a fun bite. And I could go on about this for hours, but don't forget to read on these cold fronts during end of August into September. Um, well, I'd say in the next two weeks, I don't know when this is going to get released, but I assume next week. Uh, but I I think watch it. I, I got excited yesterday. Um, we had a crazy window with a bunch of big fish right around that 50 inch mark with some wind pouring into a spot after some heavy storms and water temps dropped two degrees and instantly those big fish, they want to be there. So you guys get ready. This year has been weird with all these warm water temps. September is going to be awesome. I think I could be wrong. I've been wrong about a lot of things in 2020, but, uh, <laughs> I would get ready for a great September shallow water bite. Cause I just saw water temp drop three degrees and go fish a shallow sand. You know, I might both in seven feet of water casting up to four feet of white sand shelf and just amazing movement of large fish in a fast period of time, eating bucktails going very fast. So I, I think it's going to be awesome. And that was a two degree water temp and we still have 73 degree water temps here. So we're talking a couple more cold fronts here. It's supposed to cool down again this weekend. What's the date today? 16th. 16th. 16th of August right now. Um, and technically by this time, we've actually usually had a couple of colder cold fronts. We usually see one around the 10th or 11th that gets pretty nasty, you know, on calendar year. And that usually starts the good fishing, which we kind of did have in a few spots in Minnesota last weekend. So, I think in the next week or so, there's going to be a lot of fish caught, um, and it's going to just keep getting better. So just remember the shallow sand, uh, reeds, shallow rock piles. Uh, and here's another thing we didn't touch on that I think is super important. Uh, I've seen it on Vermilion. I've seen it in Western Minnesota. I've seen it in the Bemidji, Plantagenet, Cass Lake, Leech Lake area. There's a broadleaf cabbage. It usually has, you know, it's red broadleaf most of the time on a lot of the lakes. Sometimes it's just a small green broadleaf cabbage. You'll start seeing toppers this time of year. The last three weeks, you're going to start seeing toppers. But go way inside of that on a lot of these spots, and you're going to get this mid-August bloom of this broadleaf cabbage in these two- to three-foot flats. Sometimes that you're not going to see sand on, but they have sand grass on them. And you're going to see these broadleaf cabbage. A lot of times it's the red broadleaf cabbage and or the red tobacco cabbage, I should say, and the broadleaf cabbage. And those spots can just be unbelievable. You'll see packs of giant fish in those weeds and they can sniff it out like a hound dog. And if you have those spots already in your repertoire or icons of them, if not, go find them. Just drive around in three, four feet of water, you know, opposite some reeds, way inside of a sand flat, anything. If you can find some of those small cabbage patches that pop up mid-August, 
man, they're going to hold a lot of fish. And I, that's been some of my best bites in September I've ever had. Away from the crowd, nondescript spots, with late-blooming broadleaf cabbage. Another thing is, too, I've got to spend some time on leech this year. And we did, a lot of guys I talked to on leech were struggling. And don't forget what's at your disposal nowadays with the uh, side imaging. I, I run hummingbirds and use the mega imaging. And I had some really good days on leech when everyone else told me it was horrible just driving. And I didn't, I didn't make many casts. And the cast we made paid off. A um, couple icons, a couple hours behind the wheel of the boat, and three miles, four miles an hour. If, if you were looking for a fish on sand, there's no need to cast for them until you find them. We have these tools at our disposal. Use them. In September, now you're going to have fish up shallow. And I guess that really is the best tip I can give tonight. If, if you were confident in your side imaging, <laughs> you could put a lot of fish in the boat. If you, you can find, you can cover half a lake in the time it took a guy to cast two spots. So they're there. And when they're on the sand, which half of them are going to be on the sand soon, they're, yeah, that's the best tip I guess I could give you. They stick out like none other, is what he's telling you. Yeah, so. you're not going to miss them. You're looking at a white screen, and then there's just a big dark shadow. That dark shadow looks just like the outline of a muskie. Yeah. Amazingly enough. But casting, you're going to see the fins and the tail. Cruising at that speed, you're going to see a nice oval, depending on which way the fish is showing. Facing the boat, it's going to be a longer, skinnier shadow. Sideways to the boat, it's going to look like a giant bluegill. Um, you can't, you, the shadow will, I'm sorry. You're in bright white sand, so your screen's going to be bright yellow. Your shadows are going to be, you know, at the higher the speed, the greater the shadow, but you're going to see a dark to a gray shadow that, I mean, it, it sticks out. You're not going to miss it. I got a question for you, Matt. So when you see that fish, okay, say you're just doing the drive-by, right? And you're, you're looking for those fish and you're seeing the shadow and what have you. How many of them do you mark? Do you actually put an icon on them so that when you come back, you know right where they were? I mark every single one. Icons are free. Can't have enough of them. I, I literally drive around with my hand on top of the GPS. My hand rests on my GPS and my left thumb is on the mark button. And I drive around. I can delete them the next day. You know, if I go back there the next day, I'm not going to cast at it. I'm not going to drive up to the icon and cast at it because I can see them. Why would I cast at them when I can see them plain as day? I'm going to drive by it. There's no need. And am I going to drive by one icon on a half mile long beach? No, I'm going to drive the half mile long beach. There's no need to keep the icon there. If you move the fish, you catch fish. Okay, so the fish didn't move. I'm not going to delete the icon, but the next day when I go there, I will literally, it's up to you. You can delete the icon. I delete them and I drive down the beach. You know, there's usually some big pontoon on a lift that I know that's where an icon was yesterday. If you want to delete them, delete them. If you don't want to delete them, fine, but make them a different color and make them a different color every month. So you can get a pattern for the year if you want. There's many different ways to go about it, but I icon every single fish I see, and I usually delete them on the sand because I come back the next day and they're different. Like on a lake like Leech Lake, I delete them. On a lake like Vermilion, I don't delete them. There's four sand beaches that are great, you know, and they're in the same spot every time. I'm just going to fish them. You know, it's a quarter mile long beach on Vermilion. But on a giant lake like Leech Lake, that's a totally different scenario. Mark them, and I drive down the whole beach. I turn around, I go back. If they don't move, fine. I'm going to come back later that day. It's a giant fish. It's a giant shadow. I need to know where the icon is. But I still drive by that icon later in the day before I cast at it. Because a lot of times they're gone. So why would I fish it if they're gone? Because I don't see the sense of fishing something if they're not there. Which is the modern musky fisherman, I guess, at this point. It's kind of sad a little bit. But it's also very cool. 
it's just sad that there's not more muskies and not better stocking going on so we can keep this going for years and years to come. And I hope, I hope that all changes, but at this point, I'm not going to tell you to just fish every beach because why would you, if you can just mark them on your side imaging. I can't believe that it took us this long for you to bring up side imaging in a podcast. It just doesn't seem right. I know I wasn't prepared for this. This got sprung on me tonight. <laughs> so I was like, Oh, we're doing a podcast. We're talking about September fishing, but yeah, I mean, and that's kind of been my year too. I mean, it's been a weird year and I've had weird weeks on rocks. I've had weird weeks on weeds and then, yeah, I always result to it. Like I can cover miles of water by looking at some type of imaging and then find fish that at an amazing rate that no one else can unless they do it. And everyone has the power to do it. You just have to do it. So I think it's, I, yeah, that's, key for me and in september it's kind of my life almost i'm fishing inside weed edges so you're fishing sand sometimes my boat's in a foot and a half of water casting out sometimes it's in five foot of cabbage you know 30 feet from a weed edge where it's all sand inside of me and i'm casting into a foot and a half of water but i can see all those fish up there so it's it's hard to cast them when you can mark them first why fish a spot if they're not there for anybody that wants to hear more on matt's thoughts on side imaging check out uh, some of our past podcasts if you're somewhat newer to the podcast and you haven't gone back and listened to all the old ones now that i think we're what 70 71 two three episodes in i don't even know um matt we did some with matt last summer i think we did at least one or two and it's a lot of sighted imaging talk so if you're looking for that the the information we presented then still applies today and definitely go back and check it out. Matt's got probably more knowledge on side imaging than I would say just about every guest that we've had on with the exception of maybe Matt Cook who works for Hummingbird. I would say he's the only one that's probably on par and I think maybe Matt even knows more. So go back and check those episodes out if you want more side imaging talk. You know, one of the one of the key components to that whole thing is how many days Matt Seifert's on the water, too. And that definitely, it makes a difference. You know, if you're on the water every day, you're learning the components to what you have at your hand. And he's made the best use of the tool. So, you know, it, it, he's taught me a ton. He's incredible when it comes to electronics and, and well worthy of listening to those older podcasts when we're talking about it. You know, not only that, but we, we released a couple different videos on how to actually mount your side imaging uh, transducers, one on a fiberglass boat as well as an aluminum boat, and it's been done pretty good on YouTube, but uh, you can check out Backlash's podcast, uh, Backlash Podcast YouTube channel and see the mounting of those SI transducers because that definitely will make some changes in your life as well. Absolutely. Well, yeah, thanks, Jeff. This was fun again, as always. Um, if anybody needs to get a hold of me, I do have a few days open. We had, me and Brad had a bunch of Swedish guys and English guys and German guys that couldn't come this year. So I've filled up a lot of it, and we're going to do some filming for some of it. But I do have uh, some days, end of September, and a few days in October as well and a couple days in November. So I do have some, about two weeks open for the rest of the year. Uh, you can get a contact of me on my cell phone number. It's probably the best way. Text me or call me 651-357-8709. I also am on Instagram at Musky Mercenary Guide Service. Or it's actually Musky Mercenary. Sorry, I don't go on Instagram much. Musky Mercenary, you can message me on that. And Facebook is Matt Seifert. So, yeah, hit me up if you're looking for a trip. Or another thing, too, I've also been considering is if you can get a few of your buddies, you got your boats, and you want to hire me for a day, we can do a six-hour deal. I can check each one of your boats out. We can figure out the side imaging stuff. If that's where you re what you really want and I can look at your boat 
we can do stuff like that too. So I'm pretty open. I get a kick out of the educational stuff on that end. I'm not exactly a computer guru, but I can figure out your side imaging. So yeah, just let me know. Well, I can vouch for him. If anybody's looking for side Im- imaging help, it definitely well worth the money to do it. If Matt was over here, I'd probably pay him just so I could learn a little bit more about it because the technology is certainly there to help you catch more fish. Matt, I just want to thank you again for taking time out of your schedule and postponing sleep for another hour. I'm glad that I think Carrie's still here, hopefully. So thanks for coming out, Carrie. I'm glad you stayed awake for this one. And Brad, as usual, it's always good to talk to you. Hope everybody enjoyed another episode of Backlash Podcast, and we'll catch you all next week. Sounds great, Jeff. Have a good night, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you.